Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Zeke Abuhoff. Noelle Borg. And Pepper. Pepper Abuhoff. Pepper Abuhoff. Who is uh, keeping a low profile for the moment. It's uh, Saturday. Just to be clear, you're not hearing Pepper because she is three weeks old. Well, so that, 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 I'm sleeping. We I'm may sleeping. hear Pepper before this is all over. Yeah. Keep your ears peeled, listener. <laughs> I need to tell the people we're in Venice, California. Yes. Okay. This is a um, on location, right? Podcast. We, we had to drop everything and come out and visit the new grandchild. Dropped everything. Right. Okay. <laughs> and here we are, getting acquainted with Pepper, who is. Amazingly talented, rather attractive. And three weeks old. And three weeks old. Yeah, so there you go. So here we are, and uh, we have a few subjects to discuss. One of them being an amazing, what, what was it? An amazing birth? Yeah. An amazing test yeah, taker? Huh? What, uh, what, what would you call it? Noelle, yeah. do you and remember so the details? A woman had to take the bar exam and... I, I can't remember exactly how many times they offer it now, but basically there's only two. twice a year. Twice a year you can yeah. take the bar. So she was pregnant, and her due date was like October 19th or something like that. We need to mention, originally the exam was scheduled for July. That's true. But because of all the shutdowns, yeah. it was pushed back to October. Right. And so, and it's online now. And they require that you sit through, I think, two days... Um, two 90-minute segments um, with a 30-minute break in between. And so this woman, her water broke while she was taking the test. Now, it's important to mention that they have AI proctoring, artificial intelligence proctoring. So the computer knows if you get up even to go to the bathroom, if you leave the area of the screen. And that is verboten, okay? Yeah. they get up for any reason. They know if you get up to have right. a child. And it's, people uh, have written in saying, but I do this and I have this. Can I have, you know, some kind of allowances? No, nada. Right. She, yeah, and she actually wrote in because mm. she was nine months pregnant and it's hard to last 90 minutes without having to pee when you're about to have a baby. Um, and they've denied her request. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but they denied everybody their request pretty yeah, much, it they sounded did. like. Yeah, they were being very tough. Okay. Um, so she, she's taking the broke. test. She water thinks breaks. her water broke. Thinks her water broke. At the end of the first ninety-minute segment, she gets up, confirms it's the night. It, her water did in fact break. She calls the midwives. They're like, "You don't have to come to the hospital right away." So she takes the next ninety-minute segment of the test, and then goes to the hospital and has the baby. And then, then like the first night in the hospital with her brand new baby. Takes the other two parts. Yeah. Of the well, test. Well, the next day, probably. The next day. Yeah. Right. The next right. Day, takes yeah. the last part. The second day. Yeah. The exam is two and days long. And during the 30 minute break, nurses her newborn child. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, we should give her name Brianna Hill. Yes, because, Brianna Hill. Yeah. Yes. Very impressive. Very impressive. impressive. And, okay. you know, so, I mean, you went through this experience recently, Noel. So, do you, what, how do you regard that? I mean, kind I think she's making us all look bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, 
I have every intention of not taking any tests. Um, yeah, were you certified for any professions while you were at the hospital? Didn't certify for any professions at all. Okay. I mean, this is, I like, to me, it's it's this, this feeling of, like, if you're going to be a mom in the workplace, you have to be a superhero. Like, you have to do it all and act like it was easy while you did it. Um, well, for her, in all fairness, for her it was easy. She had three hours of labor. That's true, too. Okay. Not everybody gets that gift. Yeah. All right? Especially first child. Um, it was a baby boy. Cassius Philip Hill. Unless you say Cassius. Well. I don't know. Um, but uh, you're right. It seems amazing, impossible. I don't think I could have written my own name, much less uh, and written a whole essay of any sort. Yeah. Do we actually know if she passed the bar? No. No, it won't go for months. Won't know until December. Maybe, I would say maybe this is a premature celebration. Listen, just to know? have the wherewithal to try to do it, um, yeah. you know, and maybe having to take the bar uh, modified her pain. Well, she yeah, took the focus off the. Uh, that was one thing, you know. So she's she's beating me in two regards. One, well, maybe three. She taking the bar while she's in labor. She had a labor that didn't have to be induced. She had her own labor. Um, and, uh... You didn't have someone else's labor. No well, so I had to be, it had to be induced. Her, not not her everyone body... gets to do it in three hours. Yeah, yeah ah. and, and she did it in three hours. Well, she, yeah. got, she got very little sleep, and she's quoted as saying she's hopeful that the adrenaline that it kicked in and the experience would actually enhance her performance on the bar. I mean, maybe it will, and maybe it won't. Right. Find your flight. I, yeah, I can tell you that. <laughs> and then the, the article is kind of dopey once it goes on, because it starts saying, boy, these... These rules on these, uh, you know, artificial intelligence monitoring are really tough. You know, this is what we've had to do because of the pandemic. Well, I can tell you that I took the bar in person, and I, I don't think yeah, anyone... You had, you had an AI system watching you, right? No, I didn't. No? No. You didn't? No, I didn't, but my real you point were, is... Wait, no, you took it during a pandemic, though, right? No, no. No, no, you were giving birth, so <laughs> that's why you know what you're talking about. Let me finish the sentence, okay. and I'll tell you. What I'm saying to you is uh, no one gave birth during the exam. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I was uh, in Jacob Javits Center, which is a huge thing, but I'd like to think that I would have been aware of that. I don't really know, but uh, I don't think it was, would have been any easier to do it during an in-person proctoring situation. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing, but every birth is amazing. Yeah, know? okay. But, you know, I, it's, I think we're being kind here because we have a lawyer in our group. Yeah. You know, not everybody would feel it's an amazing, important thing to add another lawyer to the... Um, population. Uh, she might have added so, two. We don't you know. know. Uh, but and the real thing is, uh, the birth. Every birth is an amazing achievement when you think about it. It is not cheating uh, to uh, you know uh, experience some modern interventions, some professional interventions, uh, especially if you get a great result. And certainly, Pepper is a super. Results, so um, you know, we'll see. Maybe Pepper will be taking the, the bar. Yeah, my theory is that Pepper, have to. Pepper will be on the Supreme Court, uh, but on the other hand, there'll be 1500 members of the Supreme Court when that happens. <laughs> That's so the theory. It won't mean, it won't mean less. Uh, all right, well, going along the same theme, there was an article in the Times that says the ideal of the three child American family is under siege. And let me just describe what touched this off, but I know you have much more in-depth analysis than this, but the first paragraph of the article is a little different than what goes on afterward, is the thought 
that the new rules in terms of requiring the use of car seats for somewhat older children are going to prevent people from having a third child because you can't fit three car seats in a car or a lot of cars. And right. therefore, most uh, cars. Yeah, and therefore, that's it. A lot of people are paying attention to that and saying, well, that makes my decision for me. It's going to be two kids. I, I, that's a little simplistic, but they were tracking that. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there isn't. But I know you know there's a lot more to the story than that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the, the car seat rules are kind of uh, amazing at this point. Really? I mean, I, I, there were, you know, very few uh, laws in place about car seats when, uh, you know, we were bringing up our kids. And, um, but now a lot of states, you have to have them, the children in some kind of real car seat to at least four and some kind of booster seat beyond that. So imagine having oh, we uh, rules like that. I don't know what the, what the ages were. Yeah, but we, no, yeah, we did not, uh, we did not have three yet. Yeah, we had no one in a car seat at age four. Okay. First of all, we had large children. Yeah. Now, to some extent, if the, if the kids are very tall, I think yeah. uh, they place. Yeah, they, you said but, a weight thing on those. Uh, those yeah, yeah. But uh, so anyway, I mean, uh, but it, it, it you can see easily if you have uh, even a you know spacious Hyundai Sonata. Right. What do we have in the rental vehicle we're using? Uh, a non-spacious Hyundai Accent. Accent, yeah. yeah. You couldn't fit three. No, uh, things. fit two. And uh, you know we would have had uh, three kids, mm. eight and under, right? Uh, eight. And, it goes up to eight. Yeah, it's like ten. It's like. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the that booster seats. Exactly. exactly. Seat. Hence the article. There are, there yeah. are kids who are five foot ten. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's really. All right. Nice. So anyway, I mean, I think it's like ninety-five pounds or something. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I find this interesting, not so much specifically for the idea that car seats are, you know, radically changing who can, you know, have a third kid and who can't. And even the article acknowledges that. It says it's like that's part of the determining factor. I think it's interesting as one of many factors that is making, you know, raising children uh, even more expensive than it's ever been. And it is intimidating as someone who has just had a child, you know, uh, who has just gotten into this game, uh, just having one child turns out to be pretty expensive. There's a lot to buy. There's a lot to take care of. And we don't live in a country where, you know, the state takes any responsibility for that. So it's essentially this huge, uh, like, onus on, on uh, families to try to make it work. There are a lot of factors, I think, today that make it really, really difficult to raise children. And so I think when they're saying, you know, are people going to have a third kid, they're thinking about things like, should we get a minivan? Kind of what that, I think the way to take that is to say, people who want to have, people have an idea in their head of the kind of family they'd like to have, and then they encounter the economic realities, given, you know, the economy, given regulations, given uh, all this stuff what's actually possible for them. And they, they encounter kind of a disappointing reality. As so result. why can't the, the regulations uh, work with that idea? I don't think that's how the people writing the regulations come at it. You know, I, I understand, but it just seems like... Uh, there's always the temptation to say, like, well, we can just require more safety equipment for more people. You're, you're, just, you're probably going to get certain accident you know, fatalities or injuries numbers yeah. down a but little bit, that, like, so it never like, feels bad to do that, and yet it becomes more and more of a it's, burden. It's also just a heuristic, like the car itself is like just one, I mean, I guess it's just one example of one thing that's going to cost you sure. a lot of money. Yeah, it, it all costs it, money, right? At the end of it, they were saying that like actually, um, 
with uh, more wealthy families are more likely to have three or more kids, yeah. and then it's almost becoming a status symbol to be able to have three or more kids because you can afford. It always is. It always is. Okay, the more kids you can have, the means you can afford a big house with you know three or four bedrooms, a big car. Yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, well, was, what was it? one of the things that's interesting? Not in California, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the things that's interesting to me is the the prevalence of three children families. Yeah, and the article points out that in 1970, three fourths, three quarters of all families had three kids. Okay. Okay. 1970. All right. 1970. That dropped to 40% in. Uh, has dropped to 40%. 40 uh, I thought it's down to 20% now. No, you're right. It's down to 25% now. Um, but I think from 1970... Well, anyway. Well, it's really shifted. I'm screwing from, this up. Over the course of a generation, it's gone from the norm yeah. to the exception. Right, right. And we also... There was a great chart in the, the article in the Times that demonstrated that... Uh, what was it? In 1970... Um, or 1980... That uh, there was about forty was it forty percent of high thirty percent of families uh, of women with children uh, between age forty four and forty had uh, more had more than four or more children. I'm saying that uh, I'm butchering that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they one thing they point out in the article is just that. Older women are both aspiring to have more kids and are having more kids. This okay. wasn't it's, about older women. It's women have children. You know what I'm saying? That they they took a, they made a study of uh, women of this age. How many children do you have? Right. Okay. So a shocking number. You know, over thirty percent had more than four. Okay, that drops to like twenty percent today. Yeah, but okay, it's no longer fashionable to have a ton of children. But let me ask you this question: Does religion play any role in this? And wasn't there a time that some religions uh, forbade use of birth control, and didn't that uh, influence how many children people had? All right, now we're getting into it too deep because we can't <laughs> we can't analyze. There was birth control before nineteen eighty. I know there was birth control, but my my question is whether some religions have advised against using it. Well, but there's also there are areas where even if the religious line is one thing, you see numbers of like over ninety percent of women using birth control. So I I mean, oh, is that right? Yeah, that I, that's I'm kind of pointing. No one's that out. nodding, so I'm going to take that for correct. Yeah, and that's that's. More of a recent statistic, so I can't say what the statistic was in 1970, 1968, mm. whatever. But the, but I'm just saying that is a dynamic that has sometimes happened. So I would not be surprised if even in earlier generations, like even if there's some religious pushback, people want to have the options, the freedom to have the number of kids that sounds right to them. Mm. Um, anyway, I would say that we're just in the middle as usual. Well, Zeke, Zeke. we're all American. Oh. Dan and I have three kids. I think the important, kids, the important right? thing is that Zeke was a third child. So this yeah, we is were both third children. Yeah, so this so, is yeah. a decision that means quite a bit to these folks. Yeah, yeah. 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 The idea that you that people are not getting to the good stuff, you know, <laughs> but they're unable to get to that yeah, really not good an third child, question. that's a big concern, I yeah. think, for all Americans. Yes, you're right. Well, there are some uh, advantages for being the third child. I mean, uh, you guys may find that out as, as this goes on, but the third child, you know, kind of skates through a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff. Is uh, to wear a lot of secondhand clothing. Oh, Third hand clothing. That's a great thing. Yeah. Unisex clothing. Sweatpants. Uh, all right. So th 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 there was an article. Well, I don't want to name names. And there was an article about uh, varsity teams and club teams. 
Uh, well, about... anyway, varsity sports seem to be dropping like flies. Yeah. Many schools are cutting. Well, but you're talking specifically now... universities. You're yeah. talking about pandemic. Or you're talking about outside of the pandemic. I'm talking the outside of the pandemic. Really? Yeah. The universities. William and Mary just uh, cut uh, like seven sports. Or so you saying it's anymore. unrelated to yeah. the pandemic? Yeah. William and Mary cut seven varsity sports. Well, what did they cut that this year or the last year? Uh, I, you know, now you're asking hard questions. Yeah, well, we, but this is related to like the article. No, this we is budgetary. Before. This is budgetary. Sure. Well, we discussed an article before uh, in an earlier episode about uh, Stanford cutting several of its right, sports. Right. But Stanford, yeah. we talked about how there was there's a kind of good story right now for saying, oh, well, with COVID, what do you expect us to do? But right. really, there's a budgetary reason underlying but, that. And for the folks in charge, it's it's nice, like, oh, finally, we can get this stuff off our books. But how about? And, it, and it's oh, not it's not obscure. Wait a minute, it's not just budget. It's Title Nine. I mean, Title IX was the thing that started all this. That's where all the wrestling teams disappeared because of Title IX. No, this is Dartmouth, for instance, has dropped men's and women's swimming and lightweight rowing. Men's and women's lightweight rowing or just men's? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. But men's and women, yeah, you don't get anything from dropping both men's and women's programs in a Title IX. Well, the only if you're right about the men's and women's swimming, you have a point there. But in, I think Stanford in particular was dropping men's. So anyway, this article yeah. um, says that's good. Why not? Why Get not? rid of varsity well, sports. It's better than club sports. sports are better. Right, right, right. So, I mean, is it fair? Am I getting this right? Do you, do you, do you think uh, ice hockey, would you describe it as a club sport at Princeton? Or how would you describe it? You know, I found out later. We all thought we were varsity hockey yeah, players. Right. But I found out later that technically the university considered us a club sport. Right. Women's hockey, a club sport in uh, the early 70s. So, okay, But now it's a varsity sport. Now it's a so, so it's a sport. hybrid thing. But, you know, we had a great time, and we had a coach, mm -hmm. and uh, it did everything you want sport to do. Yeah. And, you know, there's all this research saying, mm -hmm. you know, people who play sports mm -hmm. are more successful in life, you know, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but uh, there's, you know, there's no, it's not clear that that doesn't apply to varsity sports players and club. Now you played club. Well, yeah. you should water say in the wall and I both. Yeah, we both played in a, in a club oh, water polo program at uh, NYU, and I think the the fact that it was a club program was generally I don't know pretty good. Like it was uh, NYU, I think does a pretty good job of supporting a lot of its clubs. Like we had enough funding to have you know coaches and transportation to tournaments. Um, and we were, you know, playing clubs from other schools and having a pretty, I don't know, it was a pretty good competition. Yeah. And I, I think it was The article, what stood out to me, the line was like, because I considered, I swam more competitively in high school and thought about NYU had a Division three swim team. And I was like, I was just barely good enough that maybe they would have let me swim. Mm -hmm. And But then I was like, oh, you have to swim. Like, the swim practices are two times a day, three times a day, dry land training. It was like gonna be my whole life if I decided to swim and I was like I like swimming but I want to meet other people and I want to do other things that this is like an opportunity for me to like expand my horizons living in the big city mm -hmm. um and water polo was perfect for that because it was four nights a week and we had tournaments and we had a team and I had community I had a sport experience mm -hmm. but I didn't have to commit to like olympic level training yeah, and also I think that's have a good time and I think, get something out of it. I really it. think that's pretty typical in Division Three. Just from you know, anecdotally, the the stories I've taken in from other people who play at Division Three colleges uh, on sports teams, like comparing their whether they were a varsity or club, it seems like the varsity programs are practicing twice as much, 
and basically, you know, essentially producing the same number of Olympians, which is zero. You know, the because <laughs> yeah. I think that some of this the some of this structure is built for like uh, either exceptional people or you know revenue generating programs, and both of those are really narrow categories that don't describe most people's. Uh, college sports experience. I'm sorry, what was it? Revenue generating, what was the first one? Exceptional people. Exceptional people. Okay. Yeah, because to me, the, the kind of like lurking bad guy in this article is the NCAA that really, yeah. like, all these schools to, like, they have the facilities, they're perfectly capable of building their own facilities, they're capable of uh, using their, they have fully fleshed out athletics departments that can coordinate with each other to create schedules, they have their own, like, uh, athletic leagues they can make. They are perfectly capable of, of running these, like, uh, you know, programs as clubs or varsity, whatever, but what the NCAA provides is something a little bit bigger, providing more infrastructure that I think mainly comes in handy when you're talking about, you know, broadcasting a, uh, a basketball well, game well, on television, second, something like that. Right. So I was in a varsity sport, mm -hmm. all right? So I'm the oddball of, of the four of us <laughs> here, all right? And um, I can't say I regretted doing a varsity sport. I understand the other side of it. Uh, and I've often asked myself whether I missed a lot out of school because the sport was so demanding, rowing crew. Um, maybe there's something to that. On the other hand, and it, God knows there's no element of rowing crew at Princeton that gets involved in revenue generation or broadcast or anything like that. It's just, just irrelevant. Um, but there is something to challenging yourself at a high level. Even if you're not going to the Olympics, no one's going to the Olympics. I agree with that. But you're you're trying it's a different objective you're trying to meet a different standard and you're trying reaching within yourself to see if you can get to a certain level and maybe that's not for everybody uh, apparently it's not but I think I benefited from that right? but that can't happen in a club right absolutely well, think, not, I, not well, I don't know if I'll go that far I think the I think it's it's not clear that like the varsity status of the team you're on created like a very specific difference in your experience because i would say that your program was competitive enough and challenging enough demanding enough yeah. that you got a lot out of it but i would also say in terms of the parameters of like what you did it's uh, it maybe very similar to a lot of club experiences mm -hmm. you, no let me let me be yeah, clear it's, it's about like you uh rode in college but not before and not after you right. didn't you know like compete you know in the olympics I, there's, there's, like right. you said there's no revenue generating part of it there's no sponsorship whatever like the difference between like on, on a basically on a technical level it's you know that there was it was there's a piece of paper that said it was a varsity team versus calling it a club team but there was nothing in there about like yeah, your but, interaction with any olympic but, but, committee or but, 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 any see, the, like, I, professional I, sports franchise you're, practically you're correct but no club team could compete with us it was, there, it was a sure. high, higher level of competition it was demanding more of the individual athlete and again it's not for everybody and who's to say whether it was a good idea or not? Yeah, but well, my, the, point I'm, the point I'm trying to make is just that I think I wouldn't care that much whether someone's calling program varsity or club. If it's, if it's just a word that meant we practice a lot and, you know, try real hard, fine, whatever, it, what seems to be the substantive difference in terms of, like, the mechanics of these schools and these leagues is that uh, varsity programs seem to follow a set of rules that are set up by the NCAA, and those rules seem to have a lot more to do with controlling how athletes make money and who makes money off of athletes, rather than the the stuff that we really care about, which is you know having a good time, game, right. challenging yourself, learning, yeah, I'm just teamwork, saying, all of all I'm those saying things. It's a third category because there's no revenue in So yeah, I know. I'm saying you're still dealing with for as an example. My brother, you know him, Granger. Yeah. 
Uh, he uh, played in a varsity water polo program right. that, uh, you know, was was a Division three program. Right. And so, like, you know, not a program that was, uh, that was like, you know, knocking down the water polo world, not taking right. on the, the strongest teams, but still a varsity program. They practiced plenty. They, they played plenty hard. But they also had to deal with rules about when they could practice, yeah. how they could arrange their schedule, sometimes right. rules that were pretty... Inconvenient, and that often seemed out of touch because they're saying like, "Oh, well, you can't practice at this time. That might give you an unfair advantage." Well, well, we, and they're saying, "Look, we, you know, we're not going right. on to see. There may be examples. Of that. that wasn't make my, experience. Money this. Okay. my experience. But let me just say this. All right. First of all, one aspect of being on a varsity sport is that it limits your exposure to other aspects. Absolutely, absolutely. Of the college experience. That's true. You worked at Commons. You rode. You did your... Did some academics. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people don't get around even to the, you know, the academics. I did. When they are varsity athletes. Not everybody is Dan Abulon. Well, that's not... Okay? And I think that's what, part of what they're saying. Also, your social circle can be too limited. I agree can be that. just very limited to that team. And it's a trade-off. It's always a great thing. It, it's a trade-off. I don't think it's a trade-off. I vote for club sports. The article says... <laughs> The article says, keep your revenue-producing sports. That's fine. Who cares? Oh, it's the opposite of what you're saying. You know, I would like to see see more people being able to participate in more sports, okay? And because I think athletics are an important part of well-being. There was an egalitarian part of it as well, insofar as, like they were saying, that a lot of people who end up getting scholarships through varsity programs are kids who had access to resources and started, like, you know, swimming, doing fencing or whatever at yeah. age 12, and that got them almost like unfair access into the university programs with with scholarships. And, it, and other people are missing out by not being able to get exposed to that. It was great for me. I didn't learn how to play ice hockey till I was in college, and it was yeah. a great opportunity. And I don't, I, I, I think sports are really important, but I really reject the idea that there are, you know, jocks, you know, and then intellectuals. Yeah. And, you know, that uh, all these things can be incorporated. Yeah, I mean, I would also say that I think, again, like, it's fine to have your revenue generating sports and, and do that. I think players should be paid, but that's because a different matter. The, those the, also provide opportunity for people who wouldn't otherwise get to go sure. to college. You know, people who wouldn't have access to right. underwater basket weaving get to <laughs> take it at a, at a prestigious institution. But but my point but, is just that yeah. there are a handful of those sports, and frankly, they're a whole, they might as well be in a different universe than the rest of college athletics. I think there basically are people on their way to the NFL. That's one kind of career and one kind of academic experience. And then there are the rest of us who would like to do something fun, challenging, and competitive at whatever level we're capable of doing that while we're at college. And then go on to do something non-sports. Well said. Well said. Moving right along. Well, the next story is something I don't know anything about. Only you and Z can talk about. Which is the Machu Picchu tourists. A guy, okay. he waited seven months. The guy goes to go go to see Machu Picchu, and uh, he he picks up at time, which is the middle of. Well, March. he's he's uh, Japanese. Japanese. Right. Jesse Karayama. Hmm. He's twenty six years old. Yeah. Okay. Dying to see uh, Machu Picchu. And they close and it they, up. They close it up, and they they also close up the country. Right. So he can't get well, out. He might have been able to get out, but he he, he had some was expensive. Some and he yeah, yeah. But uh, he couldn't get out, so, so he, he waited seven there. months. And now they let him in. He's, so he's seen it. 
So this is great. So here the question is, since you and Zeke have seen Machu Picchu, you haven't gone to Machu Is it worth Picchu waiting seven months? Yes, is it worth waiting seven months? I wanted sit? to go to Machu Picchu when I was in Argentina, but it was closed because of rain or something. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so you don't you don't have the perseverance of waiting Sariyama here. I don't. Yeah. So is it worth seven months, Zeke? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if it's seven months of just waiting on like a, a bureaucratic line, like... He just has to, to wait it out. But like, yeah, maybe maybe that's fine. Well, it's, it's, very, it's, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty wondrous ruin, you know? You can, like, it's like the a hidden city in the mists that kind of, like, appears before you, like a magical mirage. That's pretty neat. Yes, yes. Um, but much of those Inca ruins are extraordinary yeah. in that way. The thing is, it basically comes down to being a um, PR stunt to revive mm. the tourism. I mean, they, they have really suffered by closing down uh, these touristic sites in the Sacred uh, River Valley. Mm. So uh, mainly, I think it's kind of a stunt to uh, publicize uh, and allow this uh, yeah, maybe. perfectly nice guy to go in. Yeah. It's absolutely, it is absolutely magical. It's not as magical as when we saw it 20 years ago. Um, because it has been so heavily visited, mm. and uh, it has really been um, exposed to a lot of, uh, you, know, you know, trash, and uh, it, you know, it's been overrun with tourists, well, speaking, and they're considering yeah. uh, really, they, I mean, they probably have been taking measures to reduce. Yeah, they probably uh, should constrain the number of people. Well, well but, speaking uh, of things that have been uh, exposed to ruinous circumstances, there was that fire in Kilimanjaro. You've been reading about that. No. There are terrible fires in Kilimanjaro. It's become an emergency situation. Wow. So that's, uh, it's tough to fight a fire in Kilimanjaro. It would grave or nice, so that perhaps a better time also, because before it got destroyed. And fought, fought I mean, how would you right feel now? if you were, if you were plan that trip and you were trying to execute that trip and it was held off because of fire? I'd, I'd leave in the next two days. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hang around. But our advice is if you get a chance to go to Machu Picchu, do it. Okay. I mean, but don't I'll... trash the place. Don't, don't trash. trash the place. All right. So finally, and you can jump in here, Zeke. Uh, wait a minute. About... Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, we forgot whoa. something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I forgot <laughs> something. I forgot Thanksgiving. Yes. So actually, not just in the New York Times, there have been a lot of articles about the turkey situation. Yeah. What is the turkey situation? The, well, the Thanksgiving situation, even today. On the morning news, there was, you know, health, there were health experts saying, don't do Thanksgiving. Right. I think Dr. Fauci has been on saying, I'm not having my family over, right. you know, and uh, they say limit it to your, like, current household, okay, maybe one or two other people. Yeah. So Thanksgiving is all about the turkey. When yeah. I'm online at Lee's Turkey Farm, it's all about... You know, who's buying the biggest turkey? There's always some guy there who's trying to take home like a 30-pound turkey to his wife. Not going to fit in their little suburban oven in a million years. Yeah, but that's so what's the that's point? A, that's a different okay? Right. But it's it's all very, you know... Uh, I mean, well, you don't, you don't see him if you're buying your turkey over Zoom. So, uh, you know, so, no, so. I always buy a small turkey, okay? Yeah. Because I, I like to brine it, etc. Right, um, and we don't have a huge crowd. We don't have crazy but, 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 meat but, but, but What you're saying in the article yeah. is that it's important for the people who breed and sell turkeys to be able well, to gauge that's the, thing. That's the size the thing. of the celebration. We have been talking about how very cleverly a lot of people, when they saw the, um, all these shutdowns coming in March, 
began to adapt their businesses. Yeah. You know, lock in supplies that they assumed were not going to be available. The turkey people have been trying to figure out what to do as well because turkeys take a while to grow. Okay, you can't just turn a quick corner and say, oops, got to keep your weight down, sweetie. Yeah, right. they, say, they say in the article that if they wanted to really make changes to the supply, they would have had to make those moves in March. Yeah, yeah. so that oh, was a quick no. decision. And apparently some people did. You know, it's, um, they expect, uh, what, uh, they, I guess, Butterball, Butterball is having a tough time. And in fact, uh, they've had a tremendous downturn in, uh, they, uh, oh, 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 I've, I've lost my notes here. Anyway, uh, um, what do I want to say? Uh, I guess I want to say that, um, they're assuming that turkeys will, smaller turkeys will be of interest. Also, Stu Leonard's, the big, uh, supermarket, right. uh, mogul in, in Connecticut, Connecticut right. uh, is, um, putting, yeah, smaller you know, turkey. he's putting in smaller turkeys. He's also, to the extent they sell like family turkey dinners, right. family Thanksgiving mm. dinners, he's doing less for eight people and more for yeah, four people. Can I jump in here for a second? What? Do you think people are really going to pay attention to the advice to limit their Thanksgiving celebration? I think a lot of people won't. I agree with you. Yeah. I think a lot so, of people won't, but I do think there is going to be a run on smaller turkeys. But why? Yeah. If, they, if, they, if they don't limit themselves, they because don't need a smaller turkey. Because of this article, turkey. and just because people are freaking <laughs> out about, like... That's how runs work. That's I don't how, understand. <laughs> well, we're, it's not like there was disruption to the toilet paper supply chain when the pandemic started, but, like... People, there were articles about how the toilet paper keeps going away. And so you read this article about how there's not going to be enough small yeah. turkeys. And I'm already like, should we buy a turkey? Should we put in an order now for like the, but, but the small question, I, I feel that way too. I feel but that but way the question too. is, what they're really saying is people will not buy a big turkey. And what I'm saying is that people are not going to pay strict attention to the gathering of the family uh, advice. Then, then they're free to buy a big turkey. And all these concerns in terms of the turkey producers are mislaid. Well, there are other concerns. Why? Um, because of the virus, yeah. turkey demand has gone down sharply. Why? Because school people cafeterias are, are closed. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, there's a lot less uh, But people are demand. cooking more, aren't they? They are, but not That's turkey. one of the things they say. They say there is the idea that people are more interested in preparing these turkey dinners. Yeah. And that may generate... Yeah, yeah. I think But they're all also more interested in avoiding food waste because yeah. of their... Yeah, I didn't, that didn't make any sense to me. But here's, some, here's well, I, some I, interesting... get that. I get that kind of, because having just been here, you know, in the apartment, yeah. you know, cooking a lot of meals recently, it, I think it does make you a little bit more keenly aware of, not necessarily just like the environmental impact of waste, but really just... Just of your waste to be amount there, but but if turkey keeps. I mean, if you have not extra forever, time, Daniel. Come on, come not, on, come not on. Forever. And people people no. like to just get a lot of stuff for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, um, you can freeze it, etc., and so forth. But uh, pe people often don't. There is a company that's trying to develop a turkey that will go straight from the freezer to the oven. Okay, the turkey, which is nice because future. one how, of how do they normally go? Well, turkeys are often bought frozen. Yeah. Okay. And a turkey, even a 14-pound turkey, which is not huge, yeah. can take more than a week in your refrigerator to defrost adequately to put it in the oven. If you put it in the oven and it's still somewhat frozen inside, 
and yes. it never These are important it gets Thanksgiving tips that I wasn't gonna get if I wouldn't have been on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, glad to be a help here. But yeah, I right. think I think we're gonna see uh, smaller turkeys purchased, maybe less turkey purchased in Connecticut, and probably just as many turkeys purchased uh, in other parts of the country, like the South, and then a big explosion in the number of COVID cases afterwards. Okay. All right, here That's here's another thing. Okay. Um, you may not be aware that uh, of the free turkey phenomenon. So you get, you know, you get points where you shop. Like for me, it's at the shop right. And if you have X many points from the shopping you've done, then you have earned your free turkey. Mm. So that many, many people, the Thanksgiving turkey is the free. Right. Okay, when they're buying their other stuff. Now, some people don't like the free turkey, or some people are not planning to make a turkey, and they they give it to charity, etc. But there will be none of that. Uh, the uh, the people say. Are you saying that they've been selling this year people because, on free turkeys, because, and then they're going to pull the free because the turkey business is yeah, the turkey business is so Ooh, struggling that it's not going to make economic sense for these uh, stores to give away a free turkey. Well, so that's I don't, a problem. I don't appreciate these stores gobbling up the hard earned money of shoppers who thought they were getting a deal. Here's one other sad thing. The Butterball ladies. So the hotline. Mm. You know, where you call in and you say, you know, it's my first, this, this is Noel. It's my first turkey. I want to put it in the oven, but it's totally frozen. And then they tell you what to do, okay? All these year, years that that um, hotline has existed, it's been a group of people in a room, you know, and there's a certain camaraderie and, uh, you know, um, so there are no hotline community. There? No, they're doing it remote. Oh. So it, you lose another one of those situations where you lose out uh, in terms of uh, Back and forth. working together. Um, no more gobble puns. <laughs> Give them time. <laughs> All right. Okay. Are we up to baseball? Because I know everyone's You can do baseball. To... All right. So we're going to close with some discussion of baseball because it's important. Right? They're, they're, we're getting near the World Series. Both the uh, division series are in uh, seven-game playoffs. In other words, going right to the limit. Each team has won three, and a seven-game winner is going to go. Neither of those games have been played. They'll be played over the next couple of days, and then we'll have the World Series. But the great moment last night, which I know you appreciated, Tanton, was... Uh, in the fifth or sixth inning, when uh, Will Smith was brought in the pitch for the uh, Atlanta Braves, and he faced a batter named Will Smith, and it turns out how do you like that? This was the first time in the history of Major League Baseball that a pitcher and the batter had the same name. But it's the second time that Will Smith has gone up against Will Smith. Check out Gemini Man available <laughs> on Amazon to rent. Really. Yes. I don't even know what that means. This is like a terrible movie that came out like a year or two ago. Well, you'll be interested to know. First of all, I should tell you that there's more to it than the fact that Will Smith I didn't even know he played played baseball on two teams. He's so talented. (laughs) Not only did Will Smith face Will Smith, but on a 3-2 pitch, the batter hit a home run that won the game. So it was the turning point in the game and, frankly, the series. Will Smith against Will Smith. But just to follow up on your point... I think Will Smith, the pitcher, was rattled. He was. Uh... Guess what Will Smith, the batter's nickname is? The Fresh Prince? Exactly. See, and you don't follow baseball. He's known as the Fresh Prince. And finally, Joe Morgan passed away. And this comes into some of the discussion we had about club sports and people uh, being considered you know, specialists and only superior athletes get to play and don't get to play. 
Uh, what's interesting to me is that uh, Joe Morgan was not a big guy. I, and I was thinking about this as we saw this fellow, uh, Jeff uh, Broussard, I'm um, Brousseau, I'm sorry, hit that critical home run against the Yankees against Alnavis Chapman, and he had never been drafted. And it turns out why? Because he was only five foot nine. And uh, therefore, no one would give him a nibble. No one was interested. He didn't fit the profile. He'd have to be six foot three or something like that. And yet he gets the biggest hit in that series. Well, Joe Morgan uh, is, uh, according to all the authorities, the greatest second baseman in the history of baseball, one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Joe Morgan was five foot seven and 160 pounds, hmm. which is crazy, crazy, even then. And he tells some story where the first time he got a hit, he beat the Phillies, and uh, Gene Markwick, the manager of the Phillies, was outraged with his team, allowing them, themselves to be beat by uh, Joe Morgan, this rookie. And he said, you got beat by a guy who looks like he belongs in Little League. And uh, Joe Morgan said he was right. So he, did, he did look like a long way. And yet, you know, didn't fit the profile, but... Uh, one of the greatest players of all time. You know, short people, you can do anything. Well, it's Pepper, you may only be 20 inches tall right now, but you can do oh, Is that where it comes back to Pepper? Yeah. Pepper, is, is Pepper only 20 inches tall? Yeah. She's 20.5 inches. 20.5. Well, last time she was measured, that was a week ago. Who knows? Yeah. Well, she, she only stood up once in a while. We have a better idea. And she is a... <laughs> ooh, oh, she's got something to say. She's got something to say. All right. Yeah. We got. She was very quiet during the entire podcast. I think we bored her to tears. I don't On think. that note, <laughs> all right, we I, better close it out right, here so from speaking lovely for, Venice, California. Yes, and speaking for uh, Zeke and uh, Noel and Pepper. This is Dan Abuhoff and Tamson Granger, and we'll see you again next week. At Tamson and Dan, read the paper. <laughs>